the street to her lodgings, she was positively radiant. It was not only her smile which was childlike, her face itself was childlike for a woman of her age and size. She was thirty-four and a well-set-up creature with fine square shoulders and a long small waist and good hips. She was a big woman but carried herself well and having solved the problem of obtaining, through marvels of energy and management, one good dress a year, wore it so well and changed her old ones so dexterously that she always looked rather smartly dressed. She had nice, round, fresh cheeks and nice, big, honest eyes, plenty of mouse-brown hair, and a short, straight nose. She was striking and well-bred-looking, and her plenitude of good-natured interest in everybody, and her pleasure in everything out of which pleasure could be rested, gave her big eyes a fresh look, which made her seem rather like a nice overgrown girl than a mature woman whose life was a continuous struggle with the narrowest of mean fortunes. She was a woman of good blood and of good education, as the education of such women goes. She had few relatives, and none of them had any intention of burdening themselves with her pennilessness. They were people of excellent family, but had quite enough to do to keep their sons in the army or navy and find husbands for their daughters. When Emily's mother had died and her small annuity had died with her, none of them had wanted the care of a big, raw-boned girl, and Emily had had the situation frankly explained to her. At eighteen, she had begun work as an assistant teacher in a small school. The year following, she had taken a place as a nursery governess. Then, she had been a reading companion to an unpleasant old woman in Northumberland. The old woman had lived in the country, and her relatives had hovered over her like vultures, awaiting her decease. The household had been gloomy and gruesome enough to have driven into melancholy madness any girl not of the sanest and most matter-of-fact temperament. Emily Fox Seaton had endured it with an unfailing good nature, which at last had actually awakened in the breast of her mistress a ray of human feeling. When the old woman at length died and Emily was to be turned out into the world, it was revealed that she had been left a legacy of a few hundred pounds, and a letter containing some rather practical, if harshly expressed, advice. "'Go back to London,' Mrs. Maytham had written in her feeble, crabbed hand. "'You are not clever enough to do anything remarkable in the way of earning your living, but you are so good-natured that you can make yourself useful to a lot of helpless creatures,' who will pay you a trifle for looking after them, and the affairs they are too lazy or too foolish to manage for themselves. You might get on to one of the second-class fashion papers to answer ridiculous questions about housekeeping or wallpapers or freckles. You know the kind of thing I mean. You might write notes or do accounts and shopping for some lazy woman. You are a practical, honest creature, and you have good manners. I have often thought that you had just the kind of commonplace gifts that a host of commonplace people 
want to find at their service. An old servant of mine who lives in Mortimer Street would probably give you cheap, decent lodgings and behave well for you for my sake. She has reason to be fond of me. Tell her I sent you to her and that she must take you in for ten shillings a week. Emily wept for gratitude and ever afterwards enthroned old Mrs. Maytham on an altar as a princely and sainted benefactor, though after she had invested her legacy, she got only twenty pounds a year from it. With heartfelt humbleness of spirit, she used to say, It was so kind of her. I never dreamed of her doing such a generous thing. I hadn't a shadow of a claim upon her, not a shadow. It was her way to express her honest emotions with emphasis which italicized, as it were,